Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. If you want to open up your Bibles there. I'm going to go ahead and pray. God, thank you for your word. Um, thank you for your faithful servants who came here today to um, help with preaching of that and um, just with the administration of the church. We thank you for their faithful service, God. Um, I pray that as we open your word, we would hear what your will is for us as disciples. We would see what you have commanded us to do and that your spirit would move in us to not just be hearers of the word, God, but to be doers. I pray that everyone in here would walk away a changed person, beholding a little more of your glory through your word, God, and becoming a little bit more like your son through the transforming power of your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, last week, if I'm not mistaken, my brother came and uh, spoke to you guys. What did, he, what did he preach on? Does anybody, anybody remember that? Evangelism? We got one? Nice. <laughs> this is mom. <laughs> he preached on evangelism out of Colossians 4. And he kind of gave you the behind-the-scenes pictures of evangelism, attitudes, approaches, and methods, uh, what our heart should be like, what our approach should be to evangelism. He preached out of Colossians 4, and he gave you uh, four attitudes that you should have in evangelism. And those were to pray consistently, to plan wisely, to speak graciously, and to live contagiously. I think these are essential, and I think he really, he really exposited that passage well. I went through his notes on Colossians 4, and just such a good passage. That's a key passage in evangelism. I'm going to give you the other side of the coin here today to what he said. He was kind of giving us the behind-the-scenes look. I'd like to preach evangelism on stage, what that looks like, what that looks like after we have all those attitudes correct. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In this text, we have some of the last words that Jesus Christ ever preached on this earth during his first coming. We have some of the last words that he spoke to his disciples before ascending into heaven, having all authority at the right hand of the Father. Now, I don't know about you, but if I knew that this was my last sermon, if I knew that on the way home I would die, if I knew that I only had an hour left to live, I would make my last words some of the most important. And I think here Jesus gives us the most important mission that we are supposed to be on as Christians. He gives us a call and a command to evangelism. So when he has the, some of the last words that he can speak, what does he speak on? He speaks on mission. He tells us that we are to be on mission to save the lost. Jesus knew that this was his last hour on earth, and he was very precise with what he said. So I think that we should be equally precise in how we read it and understand it and interpret it. We should study this carefully. In these words here, we're going to find a basis for evangelism. We're going to find the, the foundation for all evangelistic work, for all missions work, in the world, we're also going to find the substance of evangelism. We're going to find what to preach, what exactly our evangelistic message should be, how we should carry that out. 
we're going to also going to find some comfort. We're going to find words that can help us combat those tough things, those tough issues that we face in evangelism. We all face issues um, when we evangelize. We face issues like the fear of man, not knowing what words to say, not knowing how to say it. Tough arguments that people bring against the faith. And I think Christ gives us all we need in this passage to help fight that. So we're going to look at this piece by piece. First, the premise of evangelism is the universal authority of Christ. Notice that the basis for evangelism doesn't come from anything except the fact that Jesus Christ is the ruler of the whole universe. Verse 18, Christ proclaims this, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Think about that carefully. Right before he tells us to evangelize, he builds a foundation for that. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, if I stood up here today and I told you all authority has been given to me, I would think you would want to listen to me. But all authority hasn't been given to me, so this is Jesus, okay? So we're going to listen to what he has to say. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus Christ is the ultimate king, the ultimate ruler over the entire universe. A few weeks ago, we looked at uh, the passage in Colossians 1, Jesus Christ as creator of the whole universe, of all things. Now we are going to meet Christ, not just as the creator in the past, but as the current sustaining ruler of all things. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes this, God raised him up, that's Christ, God raised him up from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Christ's authoritative creation of the world is not just a historical fact that we look backward to, but his kingship is something that we look upward to today. He is still the ruler. He has a real and active rule over all the nations, over all the kings, over our hearts and over our church. He accomplished the redemptive plan of the Godhead in sacrificing himself and his atoning and sacrificial and substitutional death on the cross. When that was done, God raised him from the dead and he set him up as the ruler of the entire universe at his right hand. I think we can look at this in a couple of ways. We can take this that Christ rules the nations. Okay, Everything that the kings do, that the rulers do, everything that the nations do, we all make plans, right? The, the United States says, we're going to do this, we're going to start this war, we're going to do that. But God has the ultimate rule over that. God's hand is in control. The president is not in control. Okay, The nations are not in control. The kings, the congresses, the parliaments are not in control. God, Jesus Christ, is in control. Also, he is the head and the ruler of our church, of every church, of the body of Christ. That is hard to ignore for the Christian. When you say that Jesus Christ has all authority over this church, we must do what he commands us. You might at this point ask me, I thought you were going to preach on evangelism. <laughs> I thought this was an evangelistic passage. We're getting there, but I think first we have, to, we have to build this foundation. You see, we have no authority to preach if Jesus Christ does not have ultimate authority. Okay, if I happen to like the Anaheim Angels, okay, and on my own authority, I go to my friend who's wearing a Yankees hat and I try to convince him, to, uh, to like the angels, I have no authority to do that. I'm, I'm just Joe Schmo with an opinion about what's the better baseball team, right? 
but Jesus Christ has all authority. And so he gives us authority to go and to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is not just an opinion. This is an authority from Jesus Christ. You may have heard messages. You may have heard preachers. You may have read those chain emails where people try to give you an um, emotional basis for evangelism. You guys have probably all heard at one time someone tell a sad story about someone who, you know, maybe, maybe died on their deathbed and they didn't know Jesus and the family was crying and, uh, you know, it was very sad. And they just, oh, if only, I had, if only I had taken that opportunity to preach. I think that's okay, and I, I, I think God can use that for us uh, to help motivate us. But I think ultimately, emotion is not the basis for evangelism. An emotional concern for the lost is not the primary basis to sharing your faith. It is Jesus Christ's authority and command. The one primary purpose that we ought to evangelize the world for is that we love Jesus Christ. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The primary evidence for our love for Christ is that we do what he says. The regenerate heart, the person who has been changed by the Holy Spirit, will do what Jesus Christ says. So let's see what he tells us to do. So first, the premise of evangelism is the universal authority of Christ. Second, what is the preaching of evangelism? What is the body? What is the substance of evangelism? What is the specific mission that we're called to do? A lot of times we just think of it as, oh, I'm going to go tell my friend about Jesus. I'm going to go tell these people about the faith. I'm going to share the Bible. I'm going to share Jesus with these people. I think it goes deeper than that. Jesus goes on. Go therefore. Notice the therefore. Go therefore. Based on what? What just came before that? The authority of Jesus Christ. Because of that authority. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We're going to look at each of those parts, but I think it could be summed up best by Jesus in the first part of what he said. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples in every nation of the world. And then he divides that into two parts. Baptism. Baptism, or I think we can call that conversion, the initial conversion experience. Right? People are converted, and then they are baptized. And second, teaching Christ's commands to the convert. I think it's important that Jesus puts that in that order. First, we are to baptize. First, we are to bring people to repentance and to trust and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. And then we are to command them to do what he says. You see, if we just teach people to follow Jesus Christ and to, teach his, to follow his teachings as though he were a guru on top of a mountain just giving these wise um, sayings, I don't think, first of all, people wouldn't be able to do it because they don't have a changed heart. So first, we must convert them. First, we must Get them to understand that Jesus Christ is Lord. Once they believe and once they have that faith, then they will follow him. So let's look at the first part. Make disciples. Make disciples. It's interesting to me, especially from our American context and the American culture, maybe the church culture that we come from, I think it's interesting what Jesus Christ does not say. Okay, He does not tell us, to get people to pray a prayer, to sign a card, to, to come down the aisle. I don't want to mock those things. I think that God uses those things, but that's not the end result that he wants. Okay? That's, that's a method to get people to become disciples of Christ. The end is true, committed followers of Christ. That is the end result of effective evangelism. 
We don't just want starters. We want closers. We want men and women who will faithfully follow Jesus. We want Christians who can stay with Paul at the end of their lives. 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. It does the church no good to get people to pray a prayer, to sign a card, to walk down an aisle, and then to fall away the next week. I read somewhere that there's a statistic that says 80 to 90% of converts from those uh, stadium crusades, right? I think there's a Billy Graham one, there's a Harvest, there's, you know, there's a lot of those. I read somewhere that 80 to 90% of the converts are not attending church after a month, okay? Does that do the church any good? Is that making disciples? Or is that just getting big numbers to come down on a baseball field and pray a prayer and watch some fireworks? We should make disciples. We want finishers. And the owner of any sports team will tell you the most valuable players in their organization are the guys who they get 20 years out of, the guys who are the consistent go-to guys in a clutch situation, not the glamorous fame, famous star who you know, can hit home runs for a couple of seasons and then it's gone, okay? The, the steady, the steady, consistent players are the ones that are valuable. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Paul describes the faithful Christian as a disciplined athlete who disciplines himself until the end. That is the kind of Christian that is the result of effective biblical evangelism, according to what Christ says here in Matthew 28. So first premise, the authority of Christ. On that, we have the preaching. The preaching, which is to make disciples. And finally, third, the place is in all the nations. What is the context of this? What is the context of this disciple-making? Where is the mission taking place? It is in all the nations. God is on mission to save. This is beautiful. This is beautiful, okay? If you're a Muslim, a Muslim has to read the Quran in the original language, okay? They don't think that an English translation of the Quran is sufficient to convey the truth that's in there. Think about that. You have to give up your culture, learn another culture, in order to understand what um, Muhammad was teaching in the Quran. But Jesus says, no. Jesus says it is to be in all the nations. We are to preach to all the nations in their cultures, in their contexts, and bring them to a saving knowledge of the truth. The gospel is universal. It is for all. It is not for one culture. This may be easy for us to take for granted today because we live in such a globalized world where the gospel is being spread throughout. But think about how revolutionary this would have been for the Jew to read this. For the Jews that were standing there listening to Christ, and he says, take the gospel to all nations. I think some jaws probably dropped at that point. To all the nations? To, to the Gentiles? To the people who, who aren't Jewish? That's incredible. This is revolutionary. For 2,000 years, God had been working through one nation, through one people, his chosen people, his chosen race, Israel. And now the door is flung wide open for all. And, and most of us in here are in, inherited. We, we have inherited that promise. We have entered through that door. People could be saved in the Old Testament. People could be saved if you weren't a Jew, but you had to give up your culture. You had to become 
Jewish in order to be saved. And now the door is wide open for all. You know what's incredible about this too is that just a few chapters earlier in Matthew 10, Jesus had specifically commanded them not to take the gospel outside of Israel. Matthew 10, 5 and 6. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They were to not go. Specifically, Jesus said, do not go to those guys. Stay in Israel. Preach only to the Jews. And then after the atonement is accomplished, after Christ is resurrected, Jesus Christ says, now is the time. Go to all the nations. This is just revolutionary. 1 Timothy 2.4 God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is a, a strong support for missions. All peoples in all the world, God desires them to come to a knowledge of the truth. And the responsibility lies with us. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The primary means by which God reaches the lost peoples of the world is you. It's the Christian, okay? The Christians are to go preach the gospel. Jesus could go appear in bodily form to any culture and bring the gospel to them. God could write in the sky the gospel. God could give people dreams and visions. That's how he could bring the gospel out. But what's incredible to me is that's not what he does. He says, you go. He has For whatever reason, God has chosen us to bring the gospel to the nations. He has put the burden on us to bring the gospel to those who haven't heard. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's mission is to save all people, to raise up a multitude from all nations of the earth. What does this mean for us? This means that if you feel the call, you go. Okay, whether that's Glendora, whether that's Los Angeles, Utah, China, Russia, Japan. No matter where it is, you go because you have authority of Christ to go make disciples from all nations. We are to raise up that multitude that will praise Jesus Christ together. So it's to be in all the nations. Number four, penitence, baptism, and obedience we are commanded on the authority of Christ to be baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Biblically speaking, baptism does not save you. Okay, if I'm a sinner and I don't believe in Jesus and someone dunks me underwater and pulls me up, I'm not saved. I'm still a sinner. But the person who truly has faith in Jesus Christ will obey this command. Baptism is an outward declaration of an inward transformation. Okay? We do that in obedience to Christ, the sacrament that he prescribed for us. Once men begin to follow Christ, once they begin to have faith in him, they will want to do his commands. They will want to obey that in baptism. We see this played out in the book of Acts. Acts 18.8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. In Acts, baptism was almost synonymous with conversion. You got converted, you got baptized. 
And baptism often costed something for the early Christians. If you were baptized, you were setting yourself apart saying, I am part of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ was suffering. You were opening yourself up for persecution and for suffering and for possibly death. If you haven't been baptized in here and you're a believer, get baptized. It's an obedience to Christ. So the order is faith first. They believed in the Lord and then they were baptized. Faith first and baptism following. This goes along with Jesus' command in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Christ demands radical obedience to his word. When I tell you that you should obey Christ, how does that look like to you on a practical basis? I'll tell you what it does not look like, okay? It does not look like you need to run up a mountain and do jumping jacks and spin around and hopefully Jesus will, will speak to you. Hopefully you'll hear his voice, okay? It doesn't involve looking for little uh, stains on your bathtub that look like Jesus, okay? Or looking for your potato chip that looks like, looks like Mary. That's not, that's not how, how Jesus primarily speaks to us. The main way that Jesus speaks to us is through his word, through his word, much was sacrificed to get this word to us, and I think we should use it. Amen. Obedience to God's word is essential for the Christian. 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. How do you know that you have the love of God in you? How do you know that you love God, that you keep his commandments? This is what we should preach to people. They should be keeping Christ's commandments as evidence of their regenerate heart. Also of note in this passage is that Jesus prescribes a formula for the baptism. It is to be done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a strong affirmation of the doctrine of the Trinity. We are baptized with the power and authority of all three persons of the Godhead. Okay, A lot of people claim to follow God. A lot of people claim to follow Jesus. Much more people claim to be spiritual or to follow you know, the great spirit or the spiritual force or whatever their own personal idea of God is. But we are to baptize people in the name of the true God, the true triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. We must trust the Spirit to guide us, to guide the Christian into all the truth, including the hard truths like the Trinity that we may not understand completely. Next to baptism, we have a second part of making disciples teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. We do not want men only to be saved to a knowledge of God that lacks power, but we want them to be saved to a transformed life, obeying Christ's commands. We must preach Christ as Lord and not as Savior only. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We must proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Also Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. We have to preach Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ isn't something that you sign up for and then forget about. I have a lot of um, junk mail that comes to me and junk emails that come to me because I wanted to get a special offer, so I just signed up for something. And then I forget about it, and then I keep getting these reminder emails, and I don't even do anything, you know, junk mail, junk mail. Right? That's not what Christianity is. You don't sign up for God and just forget that you even had him. You believe in Jesus as Savior and you follow him as Lord. 
We do not want people to obey the first half of that verse without hearing the second. Don't preach Christ as one to be passively received and accepted and not obediently followed. Do not preach a weak Christ. Proclaim him as Lord of the universe, Lord of your heart. Final point, number five, the promise, Christ's presence. We are given a promise in evangelism. Jesus reassures his disciples of his constant and never-changing presence in the context of missions. Verse 20 in Matthew 28. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is one of the things that I love about Jesus. This is one of the things that's awesome about Jesus when you compare him to every other religious ruler who stood on the mountain and gave their commands, gave their rules, gave their uh, laws for living, words to live by, and then left and said, good luck. Jesus Christ doesn't do that. He says, I will be with you to the end of the age. He is with us. He doesn't give the command and then abandon us. He gives the command and then he stays with us. Okay, this, he's not a general who orders men into battle and he stays in the comfort of his home. He orders men into battle and he goes with them into that battle. I'm reminded of a, a general in World War II. There was a general who actually went out on the beaches on D-Day and he, he, he didn't like the uh, uh, helmets because they were uncomfortable on his head so he wore a beanie and he just, he, he kind of had a, a limp I believe and he, he kind of limped up the beach and he, he was going with his men and think about how inspiring that was for them that their leader was with them. Your leader is with you. He does not command you and then sit back in comfort but he comes with us to evangelism. As Christ's authority compels us so his presence should comfort us. This promise is also declared in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Notice what the author of Hebrews says there. He says, Jesus Christ will never leave us or forsake us. So what? So the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Fear of man is gone when you know that Jesus Christ is with you. What can man do to you when res the resurrected Christ is next to you? I'm going to close with the story of David Livingston. David, Liv David Livingston was a missionary in the 19th century, the 1800s. And he went to the heart of Africa. He walked something like, I think it's around 30,000 miles on foot in the heart of Africa in his whole life. He ended up burying his wife. He buried his son out there. He forsook his family. The man didn't get to see his family that often because he was so committed to the evangelistic cause that Christ has laid out for us in Matthew 28. The man had constant sickness and pain. I think, I think the, the biographies say that he had something like 40 fevers in his lifetime, 40 fevers in, in Africa just from, just from the, the harsh conditions there. His rally cry was this. Without Christ, not one step with him anywhere. What was the comfort that David Livingston looked to when he faced those harsh things? The comfort that he looked to was that Jesus Christ was with him, the presence of Christ. Jesus Christ has promised to go with you anywhere. If you're being called elsewhere if you're being called overseas don't fear jesus christ will be with you if you are called just to talk to your neighbor 
If you're called to talk to your boss, your coworkers, here in the States, just know this. Jesus Christ is with you. Jesus Christ, His presence is with you. You do not have to fear. He has promised to suffer with you and to help you know what to say. Do not shrink back. Let us follow our Lord wherever He will take us. Let me pray. God, um, I thank you for each person in here, and I thank you for not abandoning us. I thank you for the comfort that we have when we know that you are with us. I pray that that comfort would compel us, God, and I pray that the authority of Christ would just be so crushing over us, God, that we can do nothing else but obey. I pray for obedience in here today, God, that none would be disobedient, but all would evangelize faithfully. In Jesus' name I pray.